0: What's up everyone? And welcome to Surveillance Report 32. I am Henry, your host from TechLore, and there is no Nathan today from the new oil. He is out making the world a better place, more private, and many other things. So um, it's just gonna be me today. We're gonna go solo. Today we're gonna cover the privacy and security news from about the last five days to the last week. Things got a little bit mixed up because we were a little late because both of us were busy last week. So it's just been kind of crazy back here. and We're trying to stay on schedule somewhat for all of you. This episode is brought to you by Go Incognito, which is our course teaching you from start to finish pretty much everything you need to know about privacy and security. Um, it took two and a half years to do. It's definitely kind of like the thing I'm most proud of ever doing. And yeah, it's some, there's some fun stuff. So there's a 50% off student discount for the premium version. We just introduced Monero, so you can get it with a private cryptocurrency and that's for that's with a small discount as well. Um, and on top of that, you can also watch the free version. There is a free version of Go Incognito with pretty much the same information, but premium is like the most polished, best experience, and you can also support our work through that. Aside from that, you can also check out the New Oil's website. He has his own support methods listed as well, and I'm sure Nate will be back with us next week. As always, we're gonna start the week with data breaches. So we're gonna start this week with India. So the Indian state government website exposed COVID-19 lab test results. So this came from a security flaw inside a website run by the government of West Bengal in India, which exposed the lab results of at least hundreds of thousands of residents, though likely millions. And these are all people who took COVID tests. Uh, The test results contain the patient's name, sex, age, postal address, and if the patient's lab test result came back positive, negative, or inconclusive for COVID-19. You could argue this isn't a big deal, it's just COVID-19 data, but it's still a data breach that we wanted to bring up, and there are still some privacy concerns regarding this. Up next, we have two airline stories. Uh, The first one comes from Singapore Airlines. Frequent flyer members were hit in a third-party data security breach. Uh, It's what you'd expect, data belonging to almost 600,000 Chris Flyers and PPS members. Uh, If you know what that means, then you know what that means. Otherwise, just see it as a frequent flyer number. Uh, They've been compromised in a cybersecurity attack that hit air transport IT company SITA, uh, making Sing- Singapore Airlines the second carrier this week to report a data breach. It's unclear if these two are related and if this actually referenced this breach, but there's also a Malaysia Airlines that suffered a data breach as well, also including frequent flyer numbers. Uh, this security breach compromises personal data of The flyer program Enrich, enrich, uh, including members' contact details and date of birth registered between March 2010 and June 2019. This also involved a third-party IT service provider. Uh, The more I'm saying this, the more I think that these are related, but I couldn't quite verify that on time, so if someone wants to verify that for me in the comments, that would be spectacular. All right, this next one uh, is about Excellion, which Nate covered last week. So if you want to get caught up with what happened last week, go make sure and watch go make sure and watch SR31, which Nate covered, but pretty much there's an Excelion zero day that has uh, affected multiple people. And Nate even said, uh, there's probably gonna be more breaches that come out of this. And sure enough, a company called Qualys has revealed that a limited number of customers may have been impacted by a data breach connected to the Excellion zero day vulnerability. The firm on Wednesday said that the security incident did not have an operational impact, but, unauthorized access had been obtained to a server used by the company so it's very unclear what they mean by this and I guess we'll keep following along if there's any updates on actual impacts of this because it's very unclear if there was any impacts because they're making it sound like nothing even happened they just gained unauthorized access and nothing happened when they did that so who knows All right, did someone ask for hot topics? Well, Gab is always a hot topic. Gab.com is a free speech platform. We'll cover more about that soon. Over the weekend, a hacker breached the social media site Gab and downloaded 70 gigabytes of data by exploiting a garden variety security flaw. Because Gab is open source, some people went through the code and realized that it's very likely that this might've been introduced by the company's chief technology officer. Pretty much a commit Pretty is like, oh, you made a change, that's a commit. This shows a software developer using the name Fosco Morato, um, which introduced precisely the type of rookie mistake that could lead to this kind of data breach that was last reported. Um, these are both API functions that implement a programming idiom that protects against these injection attacks. Very fancy stuff. Essentially, pretty much, this guy may have introduced the problem that caused this breach, and he works for the company. However, this is already bad, but the, probably the worst part is people are saying this removed because they actually removed this entire commit. This removal violates terms that require forked source code be directly linked from the site. The requirements are intended to provide transparency and to allow other open source devs to benefit from the work of their peers at Gab. In their place, Gab provided source code in the form of a zip archive file that was protected by the password, Jesus Christ is King Trump won the election. I don't know, man. Uh, If you still trust them with security, you know, you can go for it But I would highly advise you don't Um, There's a lot to this I will say, uh, in fairness to Brave, Brave actually, I think they tweeted a few weeks ago, Brave is like, don't trust dissenter, which is a browser that integrates with Gab. Don't trust dissenter, they haven't had a security update in months. We don't even recommend you use them anymore. So Brave kind of like indirectly called a security thing coming out of this. Um, Not from Gab specifically, but I just thought that was kind of a cool thing to mention. If you go on Twitter, I'm not gonna show it in SR because it's actually pretty intense. The CEO of Gab, I'm gonna say it, Um, He seems like a royal piece of work based on his responses to this incident. That's all I'm gonna say. I suggest you look into them yourself if you're interested. Um, And I also found it interesting and ironic that a free speech platform like Gab can't handle Twitter responses, so they disable all responses to their tweets. I just thought that was funny. Let's move on to companies. All right, this is a big one. Big, 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 big. Everyone listen up. If you listen to one thing today, it's this. Google is doing a thing, they're, they're, they're doing a thing. Um, they're trying to at least market themselves as moving towards a more privacy-friendly direction by ditching third-party cookies, which is what how they predominantly track users and they use that to sell it to advertisers, etc. They're pretty much trying to centralize everything into something called FLOC or F-L-O-C, F-L-O-C, I don't know, however you wanna say it, but F-L-O-C is, is the acronym and pretty much it's a centralized way where they're going to do most of the tracking within the browser itself. They're advertising this as a privacy innovation. Um there is some pros and cons like right off the bat and actually I think the best write up I've seen on it is from the EFF. If you don't know that EFF is a privacy organization, they they live and breathe this stuff pretty much daily. They call this a terrible idea. They pretty much say, if I can summarize as quick as possible, they say this can go two directions. One is an awesome direction and one is a negative direction, but they pretty much assume that it's Google. It's probably gonna go in a negative direction. This also introduces its own privacy issues and it centralizes things into Google's ecosystem even more. So I would recommend reading this. It's actually very long and it's a very complicated problem. I don't necessarily wanna go out and say, this is terrible though the EFF kinda says that. Um, I also don't wanna say it's fantastic either. I would very much recommend you read into this yourself. This is actually something I might do a video on specifically because it's that thorough and in-depth and I don't wanna just give you an oversimplification of the problem in surveillance report. All right, I'm a bit unfamiliar on this story, but I'm gonna, gonna try to recap what Nate has said in the past. Pretty much, Tutanota came under some criticism because they made some pricing changes between their business plan and their premium plan, which kind of screwed over some of their customers. They've made some changes and updates to their blog posts. So now, any customers whose current subscriptions renew after May 1st, 2021, will be able to keep sending calendar invites and adding more custom domains until their renewal date. Current paid subscriptions that renew before May 1st, 2021, will keep these two functions for another subscription period. I don't know what that means. If you're a Tutanota user and you use this, you're gonna know what it means, especially if this impacts you. So. Note this. Man, we can't have a surveillance support without Facebook, right? Just wouldn't wouldn't be the same, would it? Um, pretty much a judge has approved a six hundred and fifty million Facebook privacy settlement over facial recognition features. An attorney sued Facebook uh in Illinois, alleging that the platform's use of facial recognition tagging was not allowed under some Illinois Biometric Privacy Act. Uh the lawsuit claimed that the tag suggestion tools, which scanned people's faces and users' photos and offered suggestions about who the person might be stored this data without user's consent, which violated the law. And they, uh, yeah, there was a settlement, $650 million. I just said that, yeah, that's the story. This is pretty simple. There's been a new jailbreak, which is supported by everything up to pretty much iOS 14.3, which is nice. All right, we have another COVID-19 story. And this is, I I mean, it's a pretty, short article. Pretty much uh, some pharmacy chains in the U.S. like CVS, Walmarts, Walgreens are all collecting data from the millions of customers when they sign up for shots in regards to COVID-19. It also enrolls them in the patient system and has recipients register customer profiles. Yeah, uh, the retailers say they are using this information to promote their stores and services, tailor marketing, and keep in touch with consumers. Um, The companies also say the information is critical in streamlining vaccinations and improving record keeping. Um, So, I mean, like most things, I feel like there's some half truths, half lies in here. I feel like they don't need to do this and it might help something, but also some people are concerned about the privacy implications behind this. So just an FYI. All right, next we move on to browsers and this came straight out of left field. Brave acquired a search engine to offer the quotes. I'm I'm quoting their, their headline. First private alternative to Google Search and Google Chrome on both mobile and desktop. Ooh, well Brave always has good marketing, so of course they went with that title. Um, pretty much they acquired Tailcat, which is an open source search engine, and yeah, I mean there we're gonna see how this is. I haven't actually tried this yet. I did sign up for the beta because you know it's my job to keep up with this stuff, and I gotta I gotta, I gotta try everything out. So um, hopefully this is actually gonna be good. You know what I would love if they supplied pretty much Google results, or like better than, I'll take better than Google results, that's awesome. But like with DuckDuckGo bangs, and I feel like they can totally do that because obviously they have the search engine and the browser, and they could have like perfect integration with everything, Uh Like seriously, guys, no matter, if you hate or love Brave, I know you're gonna end up on one of the sides. You can't deny that like some of that centralization can be really, put to good use, you know, like, I don't like the crypto crap, but it'd be awesome if Brave, like, went all in on just making the ecosystem awesome and integrating the search engine with the browser, with, with the syncing, and, like, oh, that'd be so awesome. It's, like, what Firefox always wants to do, but they just don't. Yeah, all right, so long side tangent, um, I'm not saying Brave even is good with their ecosystem, I'm just saying, it, wouldn't it be cool, guys? Like, wouldn't it be cool? <sighs> All right, and that was all the companies. And now we move on to research. This is a lengthy one, so get ready. It's a good one though, but like it, it is a bit lengthy. So this has to do with Amazon's Alexa. These researchers looked at over 90,000 Alexa skills. These skills are pretty much like things that your Alexa can do for you. Uh, you, like, you, you can ask or do something and then the Alexa tells, Like it, it can respond to different things differently and it calls them skills. Uh, if you use an Alexa, you probably can explain this better than I can. So they looked at 90,000 plus of these skills and then they found that the security issues and privacy issues were pretty bad. I'm gonna start with a quote from the article. A first problem is that Amazon has partially activated skills automatically since 2017. Previously, users had to agree to the use of each skill. Now, they hardly have an overview of where the answer Alexa gives them comes from and who programmed it in the first place. The article said that you don't know how secure your question may have been, which is a really, ah, uh, I love the way they place that. Cause it's like different questions are gonna give you different, ah, uh, like levels of security and privacy. Like, ah, uh, that was some good shit. Next up, there's 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 more. This is like a and, and, and. So the next and. When a skill is published in the skill store, it displays the developer's name. The researchers found that developers can register themselves with any company name when creating their developer accounts with Amazon, which makes it easier for an attacker to impersonate any well-known manufacturer or service provider. That's pretty self-explanatory. Next point, only 24% of skills have a privacy policy, meaning 75%, actually over 75% of skills don't have any privacy policies. And we're not done for certain categories like kids, and health and fitness, only 13.6% and 42.2% of skills have a privacy policy respectively. Um, and I'm gonna quote the article again, as privacy advocates, we feel both kids and health related skills should be held to higher standards with respect to data privacy, which I agree with. And I, I mean, there's there's a, there's a final and here, right? They pretty much contacted Amazon with this and Amazon just gave them a the complete, you know, Just a complete PR statement. The security of our devices and services is a top priority. We conduct security reviews as part of skill certification and have systems in place to continually monitor life skills for, I don't need to read the rest. You know what it's gonna sound like. That's the story. All right, the final research article. I'm gonna be real with you. This is a pretty complex one. So I understand this well enough to tell you where I don't kind of get where things go, but it's 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 interesting. I'm sure someone will enjoy this, especially the more technical crowd. Make sure to check it out if you want more details, because I'm not going to explain this as best as I probably can. The title is Bitflips When PCs Try and Reach Windows.com. What could possibly go wrong? Pretty much, bitflips are events that cause individual bits stored in an electronic device to flip like binary, so it turns a zero to a one or vice versa. These researchers were able to attribute bit flips to a domain switch. A Windows computer is gonna access windows.com and it does this periodically um, to check for the time and it just checks and does random checks for your Windows operating system. They were able to use bit flips to make the domain switch to something that looked like windows.com. In their example, they did wh windows.com. So instead of windows, it was w-h-n-d-o-w-s.com. The researchers found that 14 of these domain names were still available for purchase. So 14 of these domains that looked like windows.com were still available for purchase. So pretty much they were concerned about a phishing attempt here because you could be redirected. And if you're watching the video on YouTube, you're gonna see lots of these domains here and that they're available. Probably buy them if you can, (laughs) just kidding. But yeah, it's, it's much more complex than that. And I really recommend you check it out. Pretty much a bit flip can cause a letter to turn into another letter, which might cause a phishing attack. This will probably never impact you, but it's still very interesting and definitely check it out, it's, it's very interesting. That's, that's all I'm gonna say. And the last research article, there's not much to this. Pretty much hackers are finding ways to hide inside Apple's walled garden. This is a very long article. You can read more information if you want. Uh, obviously, the sources are always there. In short, Apple's lockdown nature pretty much keeps out almost all of the riffraff. However, it works against itself if a sophisticated attacker is able to break through it because it's able to use its lockdown nature to hide itself. Even the researchers said, I'm not saying this is better or worse. This is just something you should be aware of. That's that's pretty much it. There's a lot more details and a lot more things I recommend you read in the sources below. All right, now we move on to the politics. There wasn't much political news this week. Um, We're gonna start with the US as always. This is gonna open up in Orange County, California. These prosecutors are maintaining an unauthorized database of DNA samples, which are largely taken from people accused of minor crimes. Um, This secretive system contains more than 182,000 DNA profiles and it's almost entirely from people facing uh, misdemeanors. So this can be driving with a suspended license, or theft, Uh, I guess they are some, yeah, theft is kind of bad. I'm not saying these aren't bad crimes, but pretty much people are getting their DNA samples. Now, here's where things get interesting, and this is why it gets spooky. The database relies on people consenting to a potentially coercive bargain. According to the lawsuit, if those accused of misdemeanors agree to hand over a DNA sample, prosecutors will reduce the charges against them as part of a plea deal, lighten their punishment, or even dismiss the case altogether. As part of that process, people often aren't represented by an attorney, forfeit their right to contest their DNA being retained forever, uh, and they can even pay a $110 fee to help fund the database's existence. So, (laughs) it's just very sketchy. Um, That's pretty much the story. It's yeah, it's just kind of creepy and I guess hopefully the lawsuit will will tell more answers as to why people are pretty much being let go or their crimes are being dropped or partially dropped because they're giving up their DNA. Yeah, it's it's kinda of spooky. We don't really quite know why the DNA is so valuable that they're willing to pretty much let people off with a with a lighter sentence. I, I dunno, ma'am. It's some creepy stuff. But it's probably not as creepy as China. So this is a pretty solid news article. Honestly, you should definitely read it. Um, Like, you, you know it's good when they have this awesome GIF on the front. If you're watching the video, you know what I'm talking about. So pretty much China has a program called Sharp Eyes and the goal of this program is to surveil 100% of public space in China. Um if you cover if you watch surveillance report, this is probably no surprise to you. You can read all the history about this program. I'm not going to cover it in surveillance report in the interest of time, but I really recommend you check it out. It's pretty interesting stuff. But for the for, for the report Sharp Eyes is one of a number of overlapping and intersecting technological surveillance projects that's built by the Chinese government over the last two decades. This has been going on forever. Um, you have Golden Shield Project, Safe Cities, Skynet, it's literally called Skynet, guys, a Smart City, and now there's Sharp Eyes, uh, which means there is now more than 200 million public and private security cameras installed across China. So they, this is so invasive. Actually, there's special TV boxes that are installed in people's homes. So local residents could watch live security footage and then press a button to summon the police if they saw anything wrong. Um, this also includes obviously security cameras. There's even cameras that people place outside their homes, which are also like, Guys, it's pretty invasive. Probably the scariest thing about this is the centralization and the openness towards it. Uh, Here in the U.S., we actually do very similar things. However, it's a lot more uh, fractured. Like, the police departments have access to ring footage to get access to someone's front porch. But normally, they don't also have access to something else that might be of equal concern. Normally. Normally. Um, but yeah, we're we're pretty spooky as well, right? But this is especially spooky because of how centralized and how much control is given to a central party in this specific instance. But yeah, this is spooky no matter what, no matter how you look at it. All right, up next, we're going to fly over to Australia. So new hacking powers are considered to be too bad by the OAIC. The OAIC is the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner, and they have labeled the powers given to two law enforcement bodies within three new computer warrants as too coercive in nature. There's lots of legal jargon and there's a lot more to the story. I'm going to have you go into sources for it. Pretty much the OAIC believes the bill requires further consideration to better ensure that any adverse effects on the privacy of individuals which result from these powers are minimized. So yeah, it's pretty much in the best interest of the citizens that they're pretty much saying, hey, this is, this is an overreach in power, so this is good. Uh, but we don't quite know what's gonna come out of it yet. And that was politics, my people. And now we're gonna move on to FOSS News, free and open source. There's not much this week. Pretty much Session, which is a secure messenger. uh, They're pretty new to the scene, kind of like Signal. Uh, They also run on something called a Loki Network. We might cover them in an upcoming video. Pretty much, uh, they now have an F-Droid repo, so you can go ahead and download Session from F-Droid using their repo now, which is nice for those sorry for those who don't know F-Droid is an open source app store for Android devices. You can download it on any Android device. You don't have to have a custom ROM for it. If you're watching this video, you have an Android device and you haven't installed F-Droid yet, you got to do it, man. Like go check it out. Like you got to do it. That's that's all I'm going to say. Up next, E. I, I thought they renamed by now. They said they were going to rename cuz E is a bad name, but whatever. Um there's a ROM called E which is based on Lineage OS and then they add their own skin and they add their whole ecosystem to it. They were previously only being sold in Europe. We actually reviewed this phone. Uh, check out our review of E in the description. Uh, we reviewed this phone. It's only in Europe and now it's in the United States. So you can buy one now in the US. I'm personally not a fan of E. That's that's more of a personal thing. I actually do have valid like factual criticisms with it. Our review covers that a little bit more thoroughly, but If you do want something that doesn't come with a big tech company, is completely open source, this is an option and it's relatively cheap, but also you could get a Pixel 4a for cheaper than this that's brand new and you can flash Calyx or Graphene. So if you can go the DIY route, I almost always recommend the DIY route when you can. Either way, more options doesn't hurt anybody. All right guys, next up, our final FOSS story, trigger warning for some of you Linux users, Linux Mint, has decided that they are going to enforce some upgrades for their software. I'm gonna tell you right now, this is a good thing. So if you're freaking out over this, you're just some hardcore FOSS advocate, and I get it, it's FOSS guys, but security is pretty important too. Um, pretty much normally the package manager might say, hey, like you should update your software, but now it, quote, might even insist. Pretty much the big question is, how far should operating system developers go when it comes to updates? Um, in my honest opinion, I don't mind, uh, that they, they push you pretty hard for security updates. Feature updates are a different story, but, um, for security updates, I'm always kind of on board for forcing that on people because it's pretty necessary a lot of the times. However, I also understand some of you guys are hardcore FOSS advocates and you believe in the freedom of your software and you believe you should have the choice to update. You can always have the choice. There's always a way to disable these things. So I I will say that, but I know that's gonna riffle some feathers. And I also wanna add in my opinion on this that I don't think it's a bad thing. I think if you're running three-year-old software on your computer, it should probably update it for you because you're not taking a hint, but that's my opinion. I think it's also worth mentioning this is Linux Mint, which is not normally used by people who are more advanced in the Linux world. Uh, That is another consideration to make, right? If this was like Arch doing this, I think that would be different. But if you look at the context of Linux Mint doing this, I don't have much of an issue with it. And now we're moving on to our final category, the misfits. This is a pretty simple story. Pretty much hackers have found ways to exploit websites to give them perfect SEO before deploying their malware. Um, This is very hard to achieve and it's not simple and it's actually still being discovered how exactly it's done, but pretty much if someone has a ton of resources, they're able to make the SEO, which is the search engine optimization, which is like how high something comes up on a search result, they can do this and pretty much get a malicious site as high as possible before actually posting the site. Yeah, if you wanna read how it's done, check it out. It's pretty cool. And finally, if I didn't riffle enough feathers with Linux Mint, a retired Microsoft OS engineer has publicly stated his comparison of Linux with Windows. He talks about how, um, you know, there's usability differences, there's update differences. He makes the claim that he doesn't think that just because something is open, it's necessarily more secure. Um, He believes that it's a fallacy to think that there's more eyes over it, therefore it's more secure. He calls it a a lightweight fallacy. Um, And he also thinks that the open source side of Linux actually works against it. And he also thinks Windows is more secure. On a technical level, there's actually a lot of good arguments made for why Windows is, on a technical level, a more secure operating system than Linux. However, and this is where I really agree with this guy, Ultimately, he concludes Linux is more secure simply because the vast universe of Windows makes it a much more attractive target, especially since most Windows users retain full administrator privileges. And this is what's always left out. If you go read some of the websites out there that are like, Windows is more secure than Linux. If you're using Linux, you're an idiot. They normally leave out the facts that like, okay, yes, Windows might be technically more secure, however... (laughs) Real world usage, if we actually look at the stats and the data and the likelihood that you're infected by something on Windows versus Linux, it's gonna paint a pretty different story. This always comes back to the main question, who are you, what do you want, and how do we work with each threat model, and what are the pros and cons of your configuration? I think that you can be on Windows and it can fit your threat model depending on your threat model. We actually just made a Windows privacy and security guide like last week, so go check that out in the description. It covers Windows like, to the core uh, it will teach you how to make windows as private as possible and there's also linux linux can be insecure linux can be unprivate depending on what you do with it and whether or not you understand its limitations so as always understand the limitations of the software you choose of the hardware you choose the services you sign up for and as long as you know the limitations and those fit your threat model you're, you're three steps ahead of the game right um, if you're using something and you don't understand everything about it and you don't understand its limitations you're failing. It doesn't matter if it's a secure software, if you're using it improperly. Man, I'm not used to doing that much talking. Um, So that's it for this week, people. Thank you for listening. Again, this episode is brought to you by Go Incognito. So if you like what we say, if you like what we do, and you wanna learn more about privacy, that's probably the best place to get started. I, I really do mean that. Like that that thing took so much time to do. It really thought through everything and the best way to teach people about these concepts. Um, and I really recommend checking out Go Incognito. A uh, link is always down in the description. And also definitely make sure to check out the New Oil's website. He also has fantastic resources on his website. So check out the New Oil as well. Double shill this week. I also wanna do a major thank you to our supporters. We just hit our $500 a month goal on Patreon and we actually blew through it. So we're almost getting close to a $750 a month goal on Patreon. So if we can hit that, oh guys, that would be phenomenal. Seriously, um, definitely check out our Patreon. Support us if you can. There's also free ways to support us on our site. Thank you, this is how we're able to do this for free and keep doing this full time, it's just so much fun. I love doing this and I hope you guys love listening to this. Thank you again and have a great rest of your week.